So about uh, <laughs> 10 years ago, I live and work at a place called Grace Adventures, and 10 years ago, my uh, family was growing and our ministry was growing. And at the time, I had uh, four children, ages five and under, and, um, and we have what I call seasons. So there's a summer season and a winter season. And uh, in the summer season, uh, we had scheduled three week-long camps for middle school boys only. And it was such an attractive program that we added two more weeks that summer just to be able to handle the, de the demand, to take the kids off of waiting lists. But what that meant was we had not pre-planned the schedule to layer those camps alongside of the other two that I was running, which meant every single day I would show up to work and try to figure out how we were going to cover the activities that we had staffed with the staff that we had. And oftentimes that meant I was running the program and I was also um, running activities uh, so that we could do that. Well, I, I say that not like it was a really good thing, except at the end of that season, I did not sprint across the finish line. I barely made it across the finish line, like dragging myself on my stomach across the finish line because I was just physically and emotionally exhausted that season. Then we had a winter season that was growing and exciting, and I was recruiting, and I barely made it through the second season. Then we come around to the following summer, and at this point, um, I almost was praying that we didn't grow. I was not excited. Like, any time we came up with a new idea, I wasn't excited about the new idea. I was wondering, what was this going to cost me? And you're nodding your heads because I'm sure you've experienced this kind of feeling. I did not know. I, I was completely burnt out. And the crazy thing was, God did not release me from the ministry of Grace Adventures. But I knew I could not continue at this pace. It was not sustainable because I would work at work and then I would come home and my kids were work. My own family was work. And, um, and I share that to say uh, this, that today we're going to talk about mental health and I stand before you um, not as an expert but want to share with you guys some of the things that I have learned personally and at Grace Adventures, some of the things that we have learned as we walk through the pandemic, the response to the pandemic, and, um, and how to move forward. So before we, we jump in, let's open our time with prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, we can gather in this place. God, I thank you for these, your servants, who uh, on a daily and weekly basis make a difference in kids' lives. Lord, as, as Brett and I come and, and share, we ask that you would speak through us, that uh, you would encourage, you would strengthen, and that you would help uh, this team of uh, your kids to make a difference. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to talk about strategies for positive mental health. 
And uh, in order to do that, I want to start in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19. Because I want to give us a few biblical perspectives as we jump into this. Because here's what we know. God created the world. God created us. And so this mental health crisis is not a surprise to him. Not a surprise. Okay? And so I want to start in 1 Kings 19. I should mention this. Um, if you uh, go online to the CEA thing and you go, our, we have a handout there that has what we're covering. It has all ten strategies with the scripture verses. So that, that for some of you, that means you won't have to take notes. You can just listen. For others, if you want to take notes, you're welcome to do that. But that is available to you. 1 Kings chapter 19. And I need to share this. This is a story about Elijah, and he has just had a mountaintop experience. And when I say that, I mean it figuratively, and I mean it literally. He was on top of Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, like 350 of them, or 400, versus Elijah, the prophet of God. Remember the story? The prophets of Baal are slashing themselves, and they're trying to call down fire from heaven. Elijah, in his beautiful biblical sarcasm, is like, maybe you should just cry out louder. Maybe he's asleep. <laughs> so then they, they start yelling and screaming and, and ranting and ranting and nothing. And then Elijah prays, God, show your power. Like one time. And not only, and this is after they poured water on the sacrifice. So just very, very clear. The Lord God of Israel is the Lord God of the universe. Very clear. Well then, Elijah makes a crucial mistake. He has the Israelites kill all of those prophets. I would say it's a tactical mistake. Because when Ahab, King Ahab goes home and tells his wife, Queen Jezebel, who's really running the country of Israel at this time. What happened? That's where 1 Kings 19 starts. And she says, listen, send a messenger to Elijah. Tell him if by this time tomorrow, if he's not dead, I would be surprised. So Elijah comes off the mountaintop, and all of a sudden, his life is on the line. And he panics. Understandably so. So he heads out in 1 Kings 19, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. You're going to die. Death threat, biblically. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he would die. Now let me just pause here. Elijah is not in a positive mental health state. Okay? Keep reading. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and 
fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread, baked over hot coals, and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Now this is just really, really cool. I, I have to read the, the whole story here, so, so just bear with me because it's so important. And the word of God came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. I've been doing ministry for you. I've been laying my heart out for you, Lord Jesus. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. Ditto. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So God comes to Elijah and says, what are you doing here? And Elijah defines his circumstance. He defines the situation in which he finds himself and his perspective on that situation. That's where Elijah's at. God shows him his power, comes and asks him the same question, and Elijah's focus is in the same place again. Now, the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aaron. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah, to secede you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. So here's, here's I'm not going to go verse by verse through that, although I could. Um, what I want to do here, though, is um, I, I ended up reading this, so I won't, uh, i got to skip through this. Here's, here's Elijah's mental state. Let, let's just kind of pick this apart briefly. He wants to die. He feels completely alone. And he has very little hope that things are going to change. Right? This is where Elijah finds himself. So this is true, biblically, and this is also true today, because Elijah was a human being. Yes, he was a prophet of God. Yes, God used him powerfully, but Elijah was a human being. He got to the point where he wanted to die. He got to the point where he was all alone, or felt that. He had very now I say that to say, if we're honest,
honest, and, and, and I, I mean, based on statistics, there, there, there's someone, someone's in this room. You may not be here today, but at some point you will have been or will be. And you will serve your students who are here or will be here at some point. Okay? This is our, we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world, and we deal with that brokenness every day. Now, here's what I want. As I read this passage, though, there are three important things we cannot miss. Number one, God knew exactly where Elijah was, and God met him today. He met him under a fruit tree and fed him twice with an angel. And then he flees for 40 more days, and God knows exactly where Elijah is, and he meets him there. I want to just pause here to say we're going to give you strategies, but they're not solutions. They're strategies. They're going to be helpful. Okay? But don't miss this. God knows exactly where Elijah is. God knows exactly where you are. God knows exactly where I am. And He is going to meet us there. He's not afraid of our pain. He's not afraid of our darkness. He's not afraid of our lack of hope, lack of faith. This, if God isn't God when we're on the mountaintop, then He's not God when we're Number two, God had a bigger picture understanding of the situation. God knew Elijah wasn't the only one. There were 7,000 others in Israel who had not bowed down to Baal at any point. God knew that. Elijah didn't. Now here's part of what we have to realize. We're humans. We only see the world from our perspective we have to understand we have a God who has a bigger perspective. Bigger than the ministry we're a part of. Bigger than the state we're in. Bigger than the government of our country. We have a God who has a bigger perspective. And I take great comfort. Number three, God wasn't finished with Elijah. Elijah was in a terrible mental health place. And God still said, you need to go back, and you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this. So his mental health state did not disqualify him from being able to still be used by God to fulfill the mission God had for him. Are you tracking with me? This is why I want to, I want to start here to say, Ben does not have all of the solutions. Brett, who I work with, very um, love to work with him, love to work together, love to do ministry together. We don't have all the answers, but we have a God who does. We have a God who knows, we have a God who cares, and we have a God who isn't finished yet. So with that, I'm going to turn over to Brett. So, now that Ben has set a clear like 
Mental health is nothing new. This has been happening since the beginning of creation. At the fall, it is happening with Adam and Eve, and it has continued to go on to now. Okay, so we know it's been going on, but there's a reality. We have okay, a mental health crisis today. Okay, anybody, not math teacher, science teachers in here? Anybody, anybody else just numbers person? Like number, I'm a numbers guy. So like this, this is super helpful for me, so go ahead. So just wanna lay out some statistics for us, okay? Suicidal ideation, okay, continues to increase, increase among adults in the US. 4.58% of adults report having serious thoughts of suicide. It increased about 664,000 people from last year's day. Okay, and just before we move on to the next one, this says adults. This is our peers. This isn't just our students. This is our peers. Okay, next one. Okay, um, a growing percentage of youth in the U.S. live with major depression. Okay, 15.08 uh, of youth uh, experienced a major depressive episode in the past year. Okay, a 1.24 increase from last year's case. Okay, so our youth in the U.S. Okay, are suffering from major depression. Okay, and it is increased. It is getting worse. Okay. okay over two and a half million youth in the U.S. have severe depression. Okay, ten point six of you, uh, percent of youth in the U.S. have severe major depression. Okay, and that is a delineated depression that is severely affects function. Okay, and so just based on those, okay, some numbers for context, some numbers to paint the picture. Okay, we clearly have a mental health crisis, okay? There is one going on today, okay? And it's impacting people, and it is increasing, okay? But one of the things uh, that the pandemic and our response to the pandemic has done uh, is that it's accelerated. And I want you to just take a quick moment and look at this super simple, okay, formula. Event plus response equals out. Okay, and I think it's really important for us to think and just take a moment to think, um, yes, the pandemic is happening. Yes, there are incredible um, uh, societal divisions that are happening. Okay, whether it's political, whether it's um, racial, whether it's um, uh, gender identity, regardless of what it is, there are dividing Okay, uh, topics out there. There are things happening. There's events happening, but the event is not the outcome. Okay, and I think it's important that for us, okay, um, to recognize our response and our students' response and our society's response has played a huge role uh, in this outcome. And that's not an indictment, okay, on some of the things that we did as a nation, as a community to. Uh, uh, respond to COVID, it's not an indictment, we can have that discussion around the table sometimes. But, okay, what that does is we just need to acknowledge, okay, uh, that our response as individuals, the patterns we've put in place in the last few years, okay, um, and our students, the patterns they put in place, okay, and as our society play a huge part, okay, in where we are at. So we're going to cover 10 strategies for mental health as, as Grace Adventures as we walk through the pandemic of 2020 and 2021. 
Um, what we, we knew students were struggling before the pandemic. We knew that students were uh, going to be isolated, that uh, depression and anxiety is on the rise. And so we spent some time, we put a task force together of our full-time team, and we started to do some research. And we just literally went online and went, what are students going through today? What are adults going through today? What are families going through today? And we went and, 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 and just wanted to look at studies in the last six months, the last year, like fresh data that's coming out. And then once we kind of figured out, okay, um, this stuff is increasing, this stuff is uh, literally happening, then we started to, uh, to do research on what are mental health strategies? What can, uh, can we do to combat this? What are, what are, what are ways that uh, we can move forward? And, and I share that to say, um, these are not solutions, they're strategies. And, and I'll, I'll say it this way, um, these things are not like medicine, they're like vitamins. Uh, that 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 these are these are proactive things that are proven, scientifically proven to be good for our mental health. And the crazy thing is how simple they are, how clear they are. Okay, um, you're. Anyway, I, I almost feel bad sharing it with you because you're going to feel like, why did we waste our? You, it's not a waste, but you'll feel like. Why did you guys, like, why did we come to this to listen to you? Because, because here, here's why. Because all truth is God's truth. And how God designed the world to work is how it works. And so as we give you these strategies, number one, it is excellent, and every one of these applies to your life and my life. It is excellent as you lead students, and it is phenomenal as you lead your own family. So I'm just going to just, I just need to give you the benefits before we uh, we jump into the details. Go ahead, Brad. Alright, so first uh, strategy for mental health is one, enjoying the outdoors. Okay? Extremely simple. Okay? Um, scripture in Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the word of his hands, getting out, okay, experiencing what God has created. Um, and really that, um, is counterintuitive to the mindset, you know, of this close away, you know, hide, stay inside, like the, the means from quarantine is, you know, shutting doors, triple locking, you know, hazmat suit, like that, like that was the joke, but to a great first strategy, super simple, is take a step out the door, breathe the flat fresh air, uh, and experience God's creation. This is why my mom locked the door after she kicked us outside. <laughs> and I'm thankful today. I'm thankful today. Number two is exercising regularly. Exercising regularly, and it doesn't matter the type of exercise. If you have the philosophy like I did, I will take up jogging when I see a happy jogger. Um, you don't have to take up jogging. You can walk. You can swim. You can hike. You can paddle a canoe or a kayak, but, but when we exercise regularly, it releases endorphins and it is good for our positive mental health. Biblically, 
for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. But, but the Apostle Paul, when he writes this, says, we all know physical training has value. We know it has value. This is why I am a proponent of sports. I love sports. I just don't think the world revolves around sports. But they're valuable. They're just not quite as good as training in godliness. So as, as Christian educators, training in godliness supersedes, but physical training does, in fact, have value. Alright, next one. Eating nutritious. Say, back in Deuteronomy 14, do not eat any detestable thing. Okay? And so, Can it be more clear than this? Yeah, I could not be more clear. And so, like, God, God in, in God's design, okay, it, it is clear that he had, he, he didn't give us a diet plan in Scripture. Okay? But he did, okay, uh, give a clear ex, uh, expectation and acknowledge that we need to think about what goes in our bodies. Okay? And so, first of all, yeah, I think that eating nutritionally applies to the quality of food we're eating, what we're choosing to eat. Okay? I think it uh, attests to the quantity okay, of food we eat, okay, if we're getting enough food, okay, or if we uh, uh, need, need to take a little bit off our plate, okay, literally. And then the last piece, is regularity, okay? The the timing and, and how much or how often we're eating. Okay, how many of you guys have just skipped a meal uh, because you find you're too busy, like, um, you know, and, and you just, it goes by the wayside because you were either working, you had something else to do, or something was just on your mind. So I, I think quality, quantity, regularity when it comes to what we're putting in I will say this, Deuteronomy 14, uh, this verse is taken completely out of context. <laughs> I did it for humor's sake. But the whole passage is about clean versus unclean. That is, God was instructing his people before modern science. He knew what was good for his people and what was not good. And so if you follow eating clean the way Jews do, you will find scientifically backs up what God clearly teaches. So I'm just, I, 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 I did that on purpose, but I, I want to explain because I don't want you to think that we're just being flippant with Scripture reading. Okay? Um, connecting with others. Connecting with others. The Lord God said it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable. This is why isolation was so challenging. We are designed, we are created to connect with others. We are relational beings. And so social science shows, study after study, when we connect with others, it is good for us. And what happens is, when we find ourselves in a dark place, when we find ourselves spiraling, what happens is we tend to withdraw and withdraw and withdraw instead of engage and ask for help and connect. And so connecting with others is necessary for positive mental health. And we're not telling you necessarily to match make 
kids in the classroom. Yeah, so, you know, given the context having they do not doing that for terrifying that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, serving others. Okay, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to get, uh, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, in serving others, I think there's a there's a, a couple layers to this. One, okay, serving others requires humility. Okay, uh, because humility, okay, is realizing that there's something bigger, okay, than us out there, and putting that into perspective. I think really takes the mindset off ourselves and what we're experiencing, okay, and helps put what our thought process and our focus, okay, on someone else, okay. If I get locked in a box and I only focus on myself, okay, really good example. This this spring, okay, we, we had a little bit of a positional shakeup at Grace Adventures. Ben uh, was my supervisor for four years. Okay, and at the new year, this last year, he moved into another position and I kind of took over his role. Okay, and traditionally, a two-role department became a one-person uh, for a good chunk of the year. Okay, and so I found that in the spring season, okay, one of our busy seasons, okay, that when I chose to take my focus off of what I had to do in my plate and focus on what, how I could support the rest of my team, team mentality, not siloed mentality, Okay, I started getting more things done. Ironic, right? Okay, because I took the focus off of what I needed to do and I decided to serve others. I humbled myself, okay, in what I needed to do in order to, uh, to effectively serve my team. Okay, and that honestly like helped save the spring and how I was able to get uh, moved through that and it honored the Lord and He blessed me. Um, so I, you can't, like that humility piece of serving, you can't. Number six, being grateful. Give thanks in all circumstances. But it says rejoice always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you, Christ Jesus. It's God's will for us. This isn't a recommendation, this isn't a suggestion, but being grateful, being grateful is a strategy for our positive, positive mental health. And I say that to say, um, and, and I, I can't remember if I shared this before, um, if I did, get over it. Um, but three years ago, 20, 2019, I went to a conference like this for Christian that's, we live at a Christian Camping Conference Center. And, um, and the speaker challenged us to write down three things before he taught his message that we were grateful for. And then at the next, he, he, we had him for three keynote sessions. And every time he had us write down three things we were thankful for, then he taught. Three things that we were thankful for, then he taught. And then he said, as you go from here, for the next 21 days, I challenge you, that's how you create a habit. You write down three things that you're thankful for. That was March of 2019. And I built that rhythm into my life. I wrote down three things that I was thankful for for the next year. So that when the pandemic hit, I was already prepared that it didn't matter what was happening in my life. I was going to find three things that I was thankful for every day. 
Now here's what I found. I found that instead of my mood doing this, my mood did this. Still have ups and downs, but I'm always looking for the things that I'm grateful for. I wrote down three things this morning that I'm thankful for. Because God has built this rhythm and this discipline. And I'm going to say this. I want to be an old man who's fun, not a grumpy old man. And I think this is one of those ways. I think this is one of those ways that I can start right now putting myself, my future self, in a place where I want to go by being grateful every day. Next one. Creating a normal routine. There was evening and there was morning the first day. Okay? Genesis 1. Okay? Very clear rhythms that God is establishing. Evening, morning, first day. Evening, morning, second day. Evening, morning, third day, and so on. Okay, and so creating a normal routine for us. So um, getting our circadian rhythms in order. You know, our, our um, what time we're waking up, what time are we going to bed. Okay, consistency throughout the week. What time are we eating meals? Okay, if you're like me and desire a siesta every once in a while. Okay, um, what time are you taking that and how long are you taking that? Okay, my wife always has to remind me, okay, a 30-minute power nap, okay, can have the same effect as a two-and-a-half, three-hour, <laughs> you know, uh, snooze on a Saturday afternoon. Um, but getting into a normal, consistent routine, okay, um, and doing whatever you can to stick to it uh, can help provide some, uh, it provides a foundation and some stability, okay, in our daily lives that we can then build on. Um, and that gives us just consistency as well. Limiting media exposure. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's, moving on. <laughs> there's not a, because there wasn't media as we know it in biblical times, there's not a verse that specifically speaks to screens. Now, it does talk about writing on the tablet of your heart. Do you realize this? But anyway, um, it says, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are here. And one of the things, as, as I've studied media exposure, is that um, apps sell the product is our attention. They sell the time of our attention to their uh, advertisers. So it's built in a way that draws us in and it wastes our time. I don't think screens are bad, evil, but uh, here's what I know is that they can be used for evil and they can also be used for good. We wouldn't have found the conference center if it wasn't for our smartphone. Right? We use the GPS now. We're dependent on that. It tells the voice tells us where to turn and how soon. But 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 you and I both know, here's what I say with, about our kids today, our students today, they have the same capacity that they did 15, 20, 25 years ago. They have the same capacity. They just haven't had the same opportunity. Because they haven't been given the responsibility that 20, 25 years ago we gave kids. 
And part of that is now we use screens to babysit. Parents do. It's a whole lot more work to create a fun activity for your kids than to hand them a tablet and let them play on an app. And I'm not, I'm not saying they're bad parents. I'm just telling you that's the reality that we're now dealing with is parents who haven't given their kids the opportunity. They've handed them the tablet, the phone, the computer to be able to placate them so that they can go and get something else done. Not just they. I've done the same thing. I put a movie on because I want them to focus on that and then I can go and handle it. So I'm just so limiting media exposure is valuable not just for our kids though, because I am absolutely convinced that there are adults in this room and um, in our country today who need to do this for their country. Spending time with God very early in the morning while it was still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a salary place where we pray. Um, and this is a pattern we see with Jesus in um, the Gospels regularly where he separates himself, he goes, and he spends time with the Father. Um, and I actually think um, when Ben was on this task force, um, I was not. Um, but when we, when you did the research, Ben, we did, looked at a lot of secular sources as well. And I believe this was actually, like they were saying, meditation, Mindfulness. Mindfulness. Yeah. Reflection. We, we know, obviously as believers, we know the truth. We are not our own gods. Okay? But spending time with our Father, okay, with our Savior, you know, with our Lord, okay, and identifying that time, and you guys know this, not to be the drum, be the dead horse, um, but to find that regular time, and also in every moment. Okay? 75% of my prayer happens in five-second intervals while I'm walking, you know, walking from one place to another, you know, and just be, being willing to uh, step side to side, face to face with the Father at any given moment, and just spending time. Um, but you can't discount that. Set aside time by yourself, okay, uh, meditating on the Word and just spending time in prayer. Uh, and number ten, try new skills. Try new skills. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Here's the cool part. Our God is a God who does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Big theological term, he's immutable, right? But here's the cool thing about God is though he doesn't change, one of the things that he doesn't change is he is in the business of making new. That part's never going to change. We're a new creation. The old is gone. New wineskins, old wine, right? Our God is about newness, and that part of him doesn't change. And so part of us is as we experience new things, that's good for our mental health, to try a new activity, to try something different than what you've always done. is actually helpful to us and to our students. Now, a couple quick things here before um, before we we, we move move uh, forward. Number one, you can hit some of these strategies 
at the same time. Last night, I went for a walk outdoors along the river, and I called my wife and family on my phone while I went for a walk. I did three <laughs> mental health strategies at that time. If I would have prayed, I would have got the fourth one. But I, so, so you, can, you can do multiples of these for your benefit. Okay? Here's the second thing, and uh, this is where I just kind of slide in a little pitch of going, as we looked at these ten strategies, we realized that camp, where we work, hits six of these ten. This is why sending kids to camp is valuable in addition to that we're going to teach them about a relationship with Jesus Christ. They get outside, we get them active, they're not sitting on the couch, we can control what they eat, and we can put nutritious things out. Now they're still going to have hot dogs and chicken nuggets at some point, but we can make sure that they're having fruits and vegetables, right? And, and then they're spending time with God, they're connecting with others, and they're trying new skills. And at camp, you get... Now, so in 2021... We sent an email out to public schools who had received funding from the federal government to put toward camp, um, or to, not to put toward camp, to put toward positive mental health for their students. And so we sent an email and said, we can do these six things if we bring our camp program to you. And we call it our Camp to You program. We set up on the school sites and we run a portable climbing tower. We have archery, we have portable laser tag, obstacle course, we do team building. So I'm not going to do an advertisement here because you can get that from other camps and other programs as well. But I'm just sharing our experience and Brett actually oversees all of those programs for us. So if you're interested, we would love to talk to you. But want you to know this is right in line with positive mental health. Now we're going to shift gears. Go ahead, Brad. So we, we operate under a philosophy of Greece of um, what, what happened, what did we experience, what did we learn, so what, no, what, what did we learn, okay, and now what, okay, what did we do about it, okay, and so what I want to do, okay, is um, want us to just take some time to discuss and reflect, okay, so in a moment, I'm going to give you one, one minute, two minutes, just want you to sit, reflect, think for a moment, okay, and then actually want you to um, talk to the people next to you, okay, what is a couple strategies, okay, taking on all ten at once, okay, that's overwhelming, that's a lot, you know, bite-sized pieces, okay, identify two, three, four, okay, that this weekend as you go home, going into next week, that you yourself can put into practice and how would you do Okay, so I want to give you guys just a couple minutes to just sit, reflect, think. You might have already been doing that, okay? And then turn to the people next to you and just share a couple of your ideas of what you're thinking.
thank you. That way I don't have to yell. Um, now what I'd like you, so that was you personally. Now what we would like you to do is think specifically as you work with students, whether it's in a classroom or what setting, what are two or three strategies, and you can discuss with maybe two, two people around you or maybe by yourself, what are two or three strategies you can use with your students? So, so take those strategies, and, and not just a strategy, but can you put an action step? What, what could you do? Like if you're going to choose Enjoy Outdoors, what does that look like for you? How, how are you going to get kids outside? How are you going to get them active? How are you going to get them to try something new? You know what I'm saying? So I want, I want don't just like have the, um, the, uh, the theory, but, but the power of these strategies is in the implementation of them, not in knowing them. It's helpful to, to have the head knowledge, but you don't get the benefit of the strategy unless you implement it, right? So how can you help implement this with your students? Go. Think through that. Choose, choose two or three that you can give.
briefly, uh, we're going to just roll down from the top and want to hear an action step from somebody for each one, just to, to, to make sure you're doing your homework and not just talking. Uh, but also, that way we maybe can get some ideas from other folks. So, uh, enjoying out outdoors. What, what were some things that you thought, man, we could do this? A, a new idea. Or an idea. Go ahead. Um, for COVID, for me at my school, my admin supported me in having a tanker. So, for most last years of holidays. I would like to tell you that there were that there were some hard days. Teaching fourth grade recorders where it stands going over is not my idea. Teaching fourth grade recorders is not my idea. Not my idea but but to lie in all of my programming <coughs> for even now um, have been outdoor programs because that was the only way. So Christmas programs were outdoors, the kids and I got very used to it. So admin has said to me, Leah, you may have those tents still, and you may use them. So I was just telling Sarah that I just did this silly little dumb thing with salmon, because salmon were running the rivers. And I just said, hey, guys, let's go back outdoors. We'll get in our chairs and we'll canoe while we're pretending we're canoeing. We can go outdoors. But we, there was just so much in, in, in the difficulty of COVID with all of that. There was such joy that the masks, if kids wanted to, um, you could take off their masks. And I was selfish because I love to see their faces and they could safely sing. Otherwise, they couldn't sing inside. And they didn't know how to do that. So I learned a different type of teaching in my old age here of doing the outdoor things and really getting kind of selfish and jealous of it because it was so profound. Um, and so now I have a hybrid system where we know the songs inside and use the screen for quick learning or something, but then we go to the stomach and we go outside and sing. So there's a lot of joy that came from that COVID stuff. Yep. It will alive all the to say it wasn't power. But now I get that tent still, put a couple heaters in. Um, but I won't lie when the kid be turned cold on Tuesday, kids did this stuff, we're not going outside today, are we? <laughs> so I, I don't want to powder puff. Nope, nope. I, I wore snow pants a lot. Right? <laughs> But there were profound things. And when you could sing a song in the spirit and the wind group and you in the kindergarten sing this song, did you just did you just what the spirit came and just see how the light went across the clouds? I would just say that's a pretty spectacular way of experiencing some real hard things during COVID and knowing that God was present in you. Right. It communicates to us through Yeah, yeah. Alright, next one. Exercising regularly. What can you do with some of the kids to get them active. In the back. So during recess, um, I noticed that some of our basketball players are not cheap. So I said, let's go run around the school. And so I had maybe two basketball players running with them. Eight other students that don't play sports, but like, yeah, let's go run it. I'm like, great, let's keep going. Mm -hmm. um, they, they but instead of just standing around, either in social or uh, just talking and trying to do a snack,
Next one. Thanks for coming. Enjoy your final general session and continue to be used by God in the lives of kids.